Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is St. Patrick's Week, John. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the podcast. You know, the score, we're trying to make economics, finance, that little bit more comprehensible, that little bit more digestible, and trying to shine a light on things this week. We're going to be talking to former US regulator, banking regulator and finance regulator, who investigated the savings and loans scandal, which was a late 80s, early 90s banking scandal in the United States. Professor Bill Black, we're going to talk to him later about what's going on at Davies. How are you, Head? I am very good. What's rocking your world? How was your week? The week was, it's a funny old week, but do you know what? Tell me what. I uh, watched a bunch of docos this week. I think I told you about... Well, John, can I just interrupt you? At your insistence, I watched... (laughs) Harry and Meghan the other night and not at your assistance but I assume you were both watching Britney. Britney was fantastic. Who framed Britney? Yeah. And do you know what? I came out with two thoughts. Like, it's one of those kind of guilty pleasures. Britney Spears always had a great voice but production of her tracks were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But watching that the doco on her I felt so sorry for her. It was a waste of talent. Like she, sold, she was amazing. Talent. She was amazing. She sold millions of records and all the rest. But at what cost to her? To herself, yeah. No, it was. It was actually. By the way, if you haven't seen it, look at it. It's a. I think it's a New York Times investigates doco, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you my Britney story though. Oh, <laughs> go on. Lucy, my daughter, was born in two thousand. Right mm-hmm. during the peak of Britney mania, she's born in Belfast. Right. In June, in May. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh June, May, whatever. Right. Are you sure that was the year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of. And so, you know the way names have such resonance, mm. what you're going to call, because it sends out so many signals, right, about yeah. status and society and whatever. My mother rings me about a few hours after Lucy's born. And she at this stage has no name. My mother says, what are you going to call her? Yeah. I said, Brittany. It was just a silence <laughs> on the other end. <laughs> it was like, do you remember the, during the height of, do you remember Neighbours was a really popular show? I do. And there was loads of people around Ireland called Kylie and Jason. I know. <laughs> Shot remember, up the I name remember. charts. Well, actually, the name charts are very interesting because everybody decides, what is really fascinating, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of economic study about name naming. Mm. 
and herd behavior, right? Yeah. So, for example, right? Again, so we named Lucy Lucy. Yeah. And in 2000, we thought there were no Lucys because you always want a special yeah. name for your thing. What's in the top 10 names yeah. now? Yeah. Lucy. Everybody was thinking the same thing at the same time. But it's weird because we actually had the same experience with Ruby, which I thought, hey, that's kind there of... Ain't no Rubies around. Yeah, yeah. And there's loads of Rubies around. Yeah. And Isabel, there's loads of Izzy's around. Yeah. But you think you're being, no, 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 we have this nailed. Yeah. This really suits her and it's unique and it's not unique at all. We should have gone for Britney. We should have gone for Britney. And I was watching Harry and Meghan at your insistence, John. Oh, wasn't that good? Oh, you got to love Oprah's hair. <laughs> I was loving the look of Oprah. It was outrageous. And the purple eyeshadow and the whole thing and the glass. It was mad stuff. But as, as Sheena summed it up was, it was two millionaires being interviewed by a billionaire in some other billionaire's Garden. Gaff, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like halfway through, I was fascinated by it all, you know. And it it's is just fascinating. Pure, but purely from a voyeuristic kind of way. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, at the end of the day, you're kind of going, God, this is such first world problems. Like, really it, is. <laughs> it really, really, really is. But, you know, the funny thing is, John, you, you say you're not going to do this. You say, oh, I'm going to read an economics book tonight. But in actual fact... <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that, actually. <laughs> okay, that's my weirdness, right? But I've... You know what I mean? Like, but... Just give me a bit of celebrity telly. Just oh, yeah, to veg out from here, you know, particularly in the <laughs> lockdown, you know. As I was saying today, I can't wait till the bar's open so I stop being an alcoholic. <laughs> That's so true. It's true. Give me an open bar, please, so I'll stop drinking so much. <laughs> John, I think we've got to go down to the west, lower again, because it's all kicking off. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Tarquin has arrived again. Oh, Tarquin. I told you, Tarquin. Tarquin is now, he's in his red trousers, right? Yeah. He's got the velvet collar. He's now working for Rothschild's Ooh. bank. Because Rothschild, remember we said it always happens in Ireland, right? When there's a gig done and the, the Irish are trying to keep the nasty little business to themselves, they always employ a posh Brit to kind of sprinkle posh Brit dust on the whole thing, right? And it's always a Tarquin. Just to make it right. Just to make it right. And now... Davies, which we're going to talk about in a minute, yeah. has employed Rothschilds, British bank, with many Tarquins, I suspect, yeah. to ensure that Davies is sold. So what's let's go down. Let's go to the West. Okay? Yeah. Two points there. Actually, Tarquin has brought his mate, Nigel. Ooh, yes. I think he's carrying the card. So let's hit Nigel let's for hit a few Nigel. Nigel, Nigel's one of those, you know, loves to talk about cars. Another you know, type of fella. Yeah, yeah, you Get yeah. That, that chap. Okay. But so you've got Mick, Tony, Pat, Barry and Eugene. Eugene is a new player, right? Oh, yeah. And they're down there and they're trying to sell Davies. Now they realise that what we're trying to do is trying to make sure that whoever we sell Davies to, we can actually shut down any investigation into Davies. Right? That's crucial. Yeah. So what we're going to do, we're going to sit around there and we're going to pretend it's an open discussion and it's an open bit. So we're going to pretend there's interest from other Irish players and international sure. players. But actually what we want to do is we want to sell it to... Keep it close. Keep, keep it, close, it close, yeah. So whatever dirty stuff is going on, we basically we say, Tarquin, just make sure it's amongst the lads. All right. There's Johnny Sexton. Now... Let us leave the West Lower. By the way, if the West Lower is a part of the Aviva Stadium, as I said, not the Irish Celtic goddess of fertility, but an English insurance company. And 
This is where deals are done at rugby matches. You'll see them. It is a, an infestation of collars up, sheepskin coats, hip flasks. Point to Hino! Two points of Hino! This is where deals are done. Watch this space. We're going to go to the States now. And you know what we're going to talk to? We're going to talk to the most formidable bank regulator for many, many decades. Professor Bill Black was the man who put not one, but many white-collar criminals behind bars in the States prosecuting cases associated with what was called the savings and loans scandal. Clinton was involved in that, wasn't he? No. Now, that's interesting. Do you know the fake news about Clinton? Go on. The fake news about Clinton, an associate of Clinton committed suicide, whose name escapes me. And all the fake news was put on that the Clintons were involved in his murder. Yeah. And there was a property deal underlying that, which was associated with the savings and loans in our in, oh, in okay. our, our council. But it was the same thing. Savings and loans crisis, massive scandal. Basically what happened was, not unlike what we're seeing here, mm. is, and Bill wrote a great book. We're going to talk, do you know what his title is? The Easiest Way to Rob a Bank is to Run It. <laughs> <laughs> because banks get robbed from the inside so out. So tell us, tell us about the savings and loans. Savings and loans were small banks, savings and loans banks in the United States, right? Mm. So basically, you know, what you have in the, in, in, in the States, you've got these huge, huge, big, what they're called bulge bracket banks, right? But then you've got these small savings and loans, like local banks. And what they figured out, the people figured out, is that if you run savings and loans, right, what you can do, you as the chief executive, if yeah. you are corrupt, and if you fancy it, you can take a position in other stocks, right? on behalf of the bank, right? So what happens, okay. the savings and loans bank would buy something else. But in advance, the shareholders of the savings and loans, the management would take a stake in the bank they were buying. So they were enriching themselves all the time. Exactly what's happening in Davies. Oh, okay. You take right. a stake in the trade. And therefore you- Unbeknownst to their clients. Unbeknownst to their clients, because their clients are punters. Right. So they turned savings and loans banks into personal enriching vehicles themselves. Ah. And Bill okay. was the US regulator who unraveled the whole thing. And he put a few of them behind bars. Dozens of them right. behind bars, because that's what the Americans do. Yeah, there's no messing around. It's No just, messing around. Yeah. It's done. Let's go and talk to Bill Black and get his take. If he were invited in by the Irish state to investigate Davies, what would he do? Bill, good morning to you. Good morning. What do you make? Okay, I'm going to ask you the question. If you were brought in as a special investigator into Davies stockbrokers that you're appraised of what's going on there, what would you do? What were the first few things you'd do? Um, so um, if I were a financial regulator and investigator, which is what I was back in the day, uh, what we would be doing is immediately getting a, an emergency cease and desist order uh, to r remove the senior management's ability to do anything, right? Uh, so here, virtually the entire leadership team uh, was personally involved in the uh, frauds, uh, and they were defrauding clients in a way that uh, both indicates they can't be trusted to run the place and that they're creating liabilities for the place as well. So the first thing is you suspend them. Second thing, what do you do? 
you know, how do you how do you investigate these things when you go in there? Because I tell you, a lot of people listening to the to the show, Bill, will be reading the the local press. They'll be getting snippets of rumor and gossip. But what's coming out is uh, the first thing that's coming out is the regulator uh, and the central bank said, although this was unethical and shameful and whatever, no crime was committed. Yeah, the regulator said that, which is kind of interesting because, you know, they're not the prosecutors. So in the United States system, uh, we as regulators file suspicious activity reports, commonly called criminal referrals. And um, that's our job, right? And then if we make a case, we only have civil authority, so we establish fraud. Uh, as a matter of essentially common law, um, which is probably very common with Ireland and the UK yeah. uh, and such. So your audience the, understands. The same, same legal system, more or less. Right. And this is fraud, right? <laughs> you are deceiving your customer to take something of value from the customer <laughs> and have it to go to you instead. And it's not only fraud, it's fraud in a fiduciary context, right? Where you've gone to professionals who you're going for independence and skills and ethics, right? And they instead are saying, ah, ha, 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 um, another sucker through the door type of thing. Okay, so that's the, the mindset of what we would do. Now, we sure as heck wouldn't take six and a half years. <laughs> and then okay, I, ourselves. Okay, Bill, uh, I, I take it that you think this is a sort of a sort of a little unusual country. Well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just getting started. <laughs> and then pat ourselves on the back for this supposedly brilliant thing that we've done. And then say, by the way, the management was obstructed every inch of the way. And therefore, we didn't remove them. Let's let's get to the okay. So let's let's keep going. <laughs> and we didn't make a criminal referral. We just decided on ourselves. Oh, this couldn't be a crime because it's only fraud. Okay, Which, I, I, in most countries, it's a fraud. It's a crime. Okay, so let's keep going. When you see an organization like this, and you see the leadership at the top, and you see what they've done, and you see, you know, what do you think else is going on? Lots of bad things uh, because there is no concept being followed of a fiduciary and financial institutions vary as to the type of transaction and the nature of the fiduciary duty. But overall, we think of them as they're supposed to be fiduciaries and they're sure as hell supposed to be fiduciaries in terms of their treatment of customers. A fiduciaries, and, you mean by fiduciaries, you mean exactly what? So a fiduciary is someone that has special expertise, professionalism, and owes duties of good faith and duties of good care. Okay. Right? So that, and that, again, that's common law uh, that we share with the Irish and the Brits from many centuries back. Right? Okay. And it has worked really well when finances work really well. And when you violate it, finance works really, really, really badly. I hear uh, you. So this is, this is an absolutely essential pillar of everything. Right. If I see people in senior ranks breaching fiduciary duties, particularly of loyalty, right, care, they can just be morons. And then I want them out. 
right? Because they're morons. But the violate the fiduciary duty of loyalty means to deliberately screw the customer to benefit yourself. You, I can't trust as to anything. I don't trust anything you tell me. I don't trust that the documents you give me are real. I don't trust that your accounting records are real. So I go in with a completely different mindset at that point because I know you're liars. I know you're cheats. And I know that I cannot risk leaving you in control of the largest <laughs> Irish financial institution of its kind and oldest, right? And one that was the only, I, I gather, Irish firm that was actually, you know, working for the government. Absolutely, yeah, in, in being a primary broker of Irish. And not just a primary broker, the, your Department of Justice has hundreds of millions of euros with these clowns. You have your Justice Department with the crooks. I did not know this. I did not know this. Okay. See that? Okay. So let's keep digging. Let's That's keep insane. Digging. Do you, right. Does everybody get this? You can't be polite. This isn't, blah, 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 blah. this is frigging insane. This is an emergency. It goes to the top of my list. And I do not rest until these people no longer control the institution and no, can no longer cause additional problem. So in the United States context, we can go for an emergency cease and desist order and we can get emergency suspensions potentially. And this one, this wasn't found by the regulators. This was on a silver plate because the customer figured it out and the customer sued and the customer established much of what was gone wrong. And even today in Ireland, they're hiding the names. The regulators won't make public the names of the people that committed the frauds. Okay. okay. Bill, I can see. This is what I find amazing is that you as a regulator – you know what's going on. You've got the information from Google and a few, you know, the, the newspapers, right? You can see exactly what's going on. And what you're saying is the regulator can see exactly what's going on and more and is still sort of defending the integrity of an institution that, as you said, has no integrity. Not just the regulators. You have Irish journalists calling this a rogue action. By 16 of the most senior people in the organization. That's not a rogue operation. That's the frigging crew and the management team, right? Running the place are crooks. And, you know, with a motto that says, me first, maybe the company second, and the customer, you know, that's Michael Lewis's point. This, at Sally, Sally, this was known as, and I quote, blowing up the customer. Yes, and that's the other great expression. When well, that's not good. That is not good. That is not not good. We don't good. want people in charge of financial institutions who by, blow up by, the customer. By the way, guys, just so you know, the book that Bill is referring to is called Liars Poker, which was Michael Lewis's first book. Michael Lewis was a bond trader at Solomon's. Uh, just so, just so you I'll give you a bit of context, written in the late eighties, I believe, before Lewis realized, you know. I'm pretty good at this writing stuff. And he embarked on a different career, but it's a very good book. Anybody wants to understand the ins and outs and the madness of trading floors, it's, it's well worth it. Okay, Bill, let's, let's keep going. So you go in and what, what next do you look for? 
Well, here I've already got a huge advantage. If if I assume I'm an Irish regulator, um, I never cotton to this until <laughs> there's a civil suit. Right? And so as soon as I hear is the civil suit, I go in and get the all the information from the plaintiff, yes. right? Who has all kind? It's like giving um, you know six legs up yep. in an investigation in those circumstances. But you find these things not by reading the newspaper and finding out there's been civil litigation. As financial regulators, we examine the institution. Okay. We send people in to look for these kinds of things. And this place was notorious. It has a track record for decades of ripping off customers. So your very first suspicion yeah, there was when the Green Court. Going in, Again, what Bill is referring to is a Green Court case, 1993. Very similar type of structure involved, very similar uh, operation. And actual fact, some of the same individuals involved in it. That's 93. That's a oh, long there, time there, ago. There That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. Irish papers. Yeah, okay. So let's keep going. What I want to do is how do you, how do you unravel an institution like this if you're, 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 you're going in thinking, okay, something is rotten at the top here, right? What do you do to get to the bottom of it? Explain okay, that to so me in, and, in and, the US, and, and the listeners. In the U.S. context, we can actually, we have a right to go into the institution and look at any record okay, through our examination process. So that's what we do first. And what would you as a regulator be looking for? Give me the red flag. What would you, what would you say? Oh, seen that now? That's a red flag to me. Well, anytime they have side deals going on among the partners, that's uh, uh, something you look at immediately as a high priority. And this one would have been you know, so many red flags. You would have thought you were in Moscow at May Day you know, when you looked at the Okay, thing. okay, okay. <laughs> and if you look at the corporate structure of Davies, there's a hell of a lot of offshore companies. What's that all about? So, yes, what we look for as uh, fraud investigators is unnecessary complexity. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, unnecessary complexity is always to, it's expensive. Yes. To obscure things. And, you know, all these places claim to be transparent. So that's where they're hiding things. So okay. if they're hiding, we're looking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're looking really intensively. And again, we can demand in the U.S. context. I don't care that you've hidden it in the Cayman. You will bring it to Erie, right? You will bring it to Dublin. Okay, and you will bring it within the next forty-eight hours. That's right? what you say to them as investigator, stroke regulator. Well, no, in the U.S. context, it's rarely there, and we simply physically go and we just show up. Right. And we say we want the following things and we want someone who can explain your filing system. And then we get a bunch of people lower in the organization whose job is, you know, making things run correctly. Now, those folks, chief risk officers, compliance people and such in scams like this are kicked to the side. And lo and behold, that's what the banking regulators said. <gasps> They didn't tell the compliance people. Well, gosh, what 
Why would they not tell compliance people? Oh, I know, because they were trying to hide a fraud. Okay. And they knew it was a fraud. That is in, again, in English, Irish, U.S. parlance, that's consciousness of guilt. Bing, 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 bing. Okay. That's how you establish that Latin phrase, mens rea, the bad intent, right? So fraud is an intentional crime. You have to intend. Now, this reeks of intent, right? They did all kinds of things to set it up, and then they hid it from the compliance people, and all of those things would establish intent. When you're looking at an institution and you get something like this, in your experience, it's rarely a one-off event, would you say? (laughs) No, especially if it's coming from the top. Okay. Right. So, so it's, it's, my, it's, it's not, a, it's not my, like a bearings, your man, Nick Leeson, sort of rogue trader, 27-year-old guy, freaks out, does also things, right? This is coming from the... No, but Nick Leeson, by the way, is like the um, exception that proves the rule. So the, the grave danger always comes from the top, except where somebody allows a middle-level person like Nick Leeson to be totally in charge of both the front and the back office. Yeah, I hear you. Right? I hear you. And where uh, the Far East part of Bearings thought that, you know, a different subset yes. of the bank was monitoring them. Yeah, people didn't and, know what was going on. Yeah. Okay, so let's and get no back to... no one was actually monitoring. Let's get back to our, our little thing, right? At the moment, this institution, the reaction in Ireland has been to put it up for sale. <laughs> you laugh. Yeah, <laughs> that's John. That's John giggling in the back. We are taught as economists, right, that reputation is the trump card sure. that makes everything in economics and finance and business work. And surely, no one would want to acquire a place that had a terrible reputation. And the internal folks that have been quoted in the Irish papers use obscenities to describe what kind of operation it was. So tell me, why does the second largest bank in Ireland want to acquire a place filled with people who were hired by the most unethical people you can imagine? Why do you think? What flag? <laughs> I'm afraid that's exactly what they want. <laughs> okay. So the large bank, which is rumored to be in negotiations to take over Davies. What's it doing? Well, it's doing something that supposedly doesn't happen in economics. It's saying, hmm, who could we buy that has a terrible, terrible, terrible reputation that almost certainly has given the incredible ineptness of the Irish regulatory system Enormous number of skeletons let you know that haven't been found that are going to embarrass us and cost us, and is filled with people who were picked and mentored through their entire careers by people who defrauded their clients. So let's I wanna I wanna conclude here. What would you do now? You said you'd go in a cease and desist. You said you'd go in and say, like, hold on a second. Nobody's selling anything to anyone until we know what the hell has gone on here. 
How do you think this ends? How does this end in America? And then we'll see how it might end in, in Ireland. In America, if it were a bank, which is different, right? I was a banking regulator. We would put it into conservatorship and we would do the sale and we would bring suits against all the people for the proceeds and we would seek punitive damages and we would seize their assets. That's what we do. That's what I did as litigation director and as enforcement director. Let's see what happens here. Oh, and I'd make a criminal referral too. A ser whole series of criminal referrals. Bill Black, as always, thank you very much. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bill fairly nailed it there, John. He sure did. And do you know what? I was getting riled, more and more riled as he was talking there about, you know, we, we slag off the, jokingly, the, the West Lower and stuff. But this is how Ireland works. Yeah, you know? it is. And it's funny, you know, when, I, when he was talking, you know, I was thinking of, you know, the words from that, you know, Manic Street Preacher song, if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. Like, well, that's if exactly you tolerate it. this sort of behaviour, what Bill is saying, look, he says, I'm a regulator and a criminal investigator. I have done this in America. I know when things go bad. I know what to look for. He's saying, your regulator was informed about this by a civil case in the law yeah. taken by the customer. So the regulator was informed. Totally not, missed it. Not by their own investigation, but yeah. by the customer. You then have a civil case, which is in the court. Yeah. They're doing nothing. This is seven years ago, eight years ago. And what he's saying is that if this is the way you do business, if this is the way you want to investigate malfeasance, corporate malfeasance, as the Americans say, that's cool. That's cool if you want to do it this way. Yeah. However, if you tolerate this sort of behavior and if you put it under the carpet and if you say, oh, well, you know, there's a couple of rogues and there wasn't, he's saying, hold on, this is the top brass of the premier finance company in the country. Yeah. That not only is the finance company, stockbroker, but actually has a government mandate, yeah, a government mandate to be the primary broker in Irish guilts. 
Now, what that means is that they get the first, they basically sell gilts to the market on behalf of the Irish state. Yeah. Yeah. This is the biggest franchise you could ever get in finance. And and we often talk about this as well, and we've talked a lot about populism. So if you tolerate this, well then... What else do you tolerate? Well, that gives rise to... That's the very reason why populism is rising around the world, not just here. So this is an open goal for the likes of Sinn Féin to rock in. So you, you talk about the only way we can exercise our power is to vote. So the next election that comes around, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael are out. People are sick of them. They are part of the elite. Unless they decide in the next few days to say, hold on a second, there's something to see here. Because the obsession as, move along, there's nothing to see here. They might say, there is something to see here. If Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are the centrist parties, right? Yeah. Want to become meaningful to the voter who feels, hold on a second, these are the rich guys sewing the thing up again. Yeah. The West Lower. Yeah. They could act now. There's still time to act. You know, but it's They just- want to get the finger out because honestly, you know, they, they talk about the rise of populism and all these, you know, the far right. And the far They're- left as well, they talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. And and this just fuels that. I mean, it's it's just Blatantly obvious. No, you're absolutely right. But on, and we, we'll come back. We'll talk to Bill again. Like he's an outsider looking in at the way the Ireland best, works. The best type. You yeah. need that. Yeah. You know, somebody who doesn't know anybody who's unencumbered by, I went to school with your man or everyone is entitled to say, hold on a second. We're all on the outside. Yeah. Right. We're all on the outside. It's not like just a little bunch. We're all on the outside. And of course, they then respond to the party or the politician, where, whether it's in Italy, Britain, Ireland, America, Canada, that says, hold on a second, I'm going to sort that out. There mm. is corruption at the top. It mightn't even be corruption in the classic sense of the word, but there is a way of doing business. Yeah. And that way of doing business penalizes the little guy. Sometimes a vote is not enough, though. Do you know what I mean? Oh, Jesus, John. <laughs> You're the most inconspicuous looking, inoffensive <laughs> radical I have ever seen. I can tell you, uh, I had a boss many years ago who worked for me. And do you remember the, in 1972 or 71, I think it was after Bloody Sunday? Yeah. The British embassy was burnt down here. Mm-hmm. And Which my uncle threw the first petrol bomb. But anyway, there you go. Did he? Yeah. Now, that's very interesting. And how long did he spend in long cash? Uh, he scarbered. <laughs> Actually, my former boss, you know what he did? He said, I was at the thing. Was, he was telling me when I was, look, I was a kid. And he said, I was at that. And yeah. I said, what did you do, Tom? He says, I threw a golf ball at it. <laughs> it's called Economist as a Radical. A golf ball. Isn't that great? It could have been anything else yeah. but a feckin' golf, golf ball. I love it. So that's, what, that's what you get. You, you rent an economist. <laughs> that's what we do. Anyway, anyway. I threw the Financial Times at it. As I said, don't you dare do that again, you British person. Anyway, you're absolutely right about populism and the need to be seen to do the right thing. Yeah. And if you don't do the right thing, people understand what we say. Let's vote for somebody else. Yeah. Other thing that interests me, though, about Davies is the fact that Davies is a classic rentier firm. It's a firm that doesn't do it like stockbrokers, banks, lawyers, accountants, economists, right? Yeah, yeah. The, these are professions that don't create anything. 
yeah. that they just seek a rent, right? A fee from somebody See, so else. We had a great conversation with Mark Blythe about this as well a little while ago. Exactly. But, but this just sums it up, doesn't it? Exactly. That These are the types of industries that do not produce anything, mm. that actually are wealth extractors rather than wealth creators. Because industries that shuffle other people's money around, which is what they're doing, right? Yeah. They tend typically never to generate any income. Now, I've always felt this is the case, but I've recently read a paper. So I wasn't just watching Britney this week. <laughs> Not just, right? I was reading an NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research paper, by mm, a guy called Kevin Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> guy called Kevin Murphy, must be one of us, member of the Irish diaspora, an economist in the University of Chicago. Right. And he did a detailed study about societies that value lawyers over societies that value engineers. Oh, and yeah. what actually happens to the economy? Okay, it's a 1991 paper because they were trying to figure out in America why American productivity was falling, right? Think yeah. about what is happening in this country because we're educating lots of people, all the metrics look right, but productivity in the country is falling. Yeah. And he had a hunch, which was that bright people in the United States were going into sectors that were extracting rent and not going into sectors that were producing new innovative goods. Well, is this because, you know, the likes of lawyers and doctors and all that kind of stuff, they pay well. So yeah. they're very attractive in that sense. Well, not doctors because they save lives, but mm. lawyers and bankers. This is what he was thinking. Okay, he was right. thinking, okay, so many people went to Harvard and Yale and Columbia and all our best universities end up working on Wall Street or end up working in big, big law firms. Why? Because they pay best. Mm. And they give status. These are high status jobs, right? Yeah. And he was trying to figure out, could it be that our best used to go into engineering and used to make things and used to innovate? A bit like Collison last week, you know, sure. guys who actually try to figure out how do we make the world better? How do we make products that are new and exciting? And this, I've always thought that people who create something today that didn't exist yesterday, yeah, that's the key to innovation, right? So these types of guys are the people and girls that drive the economy. This was his, his hunch was maybe we're just educating people to do the wrong thing because these are high status jobs and the more rent you extract, the more money you have and the partners make a fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They surveyed 91 countries. And in all of these countries, the countries that have more lawyers, he, he decided that lawyers was going to be his target. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because... because well, fair enough. It is fair enough, exactly. <laughs> I was, I'm married to a recovering lawyer. She's gone through yeah. the 12 steps already. She's still... She's still a bit twitchy. She's still a bit twitchy. But <laughs> the point was that what they found over 91 countries, doing all the regressions and whatever, was that countries that have more lawyers relative to engineers grow slower. And countries that have more engineers relative to lawyers grow quicker. Why? Because the engineers tend to be in the technology sector. They tend to be innovative people. They're making, remember we talked about last week, the trial and error, tinkering around, yeah. making new things. And of course, when you come back to Ireland, right? And lots and lots of Western European countries, the high status jobs are in the rentier sector. Yeah. It's called fire. It's, a, it's an expression. It's for an economy. Fire economies, finance, insurance, real estate. Right, okay. okay. And yeah, yeah, everything yeah. associated with those industries are high status because they extract rent. Like, like think about, you know, an estate agent. What yeah. does it do? It. What does she do? <laughs> or he. They put up a few ads and say, we're going to take a fee for flogging a house. There's no yeah. wealth created yeah, in estate. Yeah, there's nothing new there. Nothing. You just sell, you just penalize the buyer. 
and penalise the seller yeah. usually, right? Well, I always remember my aunt used to say to me when I was going into sound engineering, when I was leaving school, she was like, would you ever get yourself a proper job? Oh, she with, with the pension, like, you know. And you can imagine my mother, when I left the central bank, walked yeah. out the door. <laughs> oh, my Jesus. <laughs> pension, yeah. civil service, nine to five, yeah. the whole thing. We end up, you had it all there in the place. You're 25, and I remember thinking to myself, I can't do this. But yeah. anyway. You'd be bored out of your head at this oh, stage. Oh, man. But it is a fascinating thing, John, that societies that value rentier sectors, like us, mm. and I suspect the Brits as well, as opposed to our friends, the Germans, who value engineering. Right, right. right? Our societies, if you look at the data, don't have the same economic dynamism because the clever people are going into sectors that they're attracted by the wage, but the wage is extracted by rent as opposed to being created by new innovations. Yeah. And it's an extraordinary thing. And so there's lots of ways to look at the Davies idea. But one thing is, Davies is the top of the rentier tree. Mm. It's actually the pinnacle of the rentier economy. And until we value the innovators and the creators, not the papal shufflers and the people who talk about other people's wealth, our economy will never achieve its full potential. Teaches you to be